Okay, I start off with another reading. Uh, my sponsor had me read this uh, many moons ago. And uh, it scared me at first, uh, but it talks about the death of self. And it's from uh, a book called God Calling. It says, uh, it's dated May 3rd, kill self now. Self dethroned, that is the lesson. But in its place put love for me, capital M meaning God, knowledge of me. Self not only dethroned, but dead. A dead self is not an imprisoned self. An imprisoned self is more potent to harm. In all training, in mind of you and in you of others, let self die. But for each blow to the life of self, you must at the same time embrace and hold fast a new life, life with me, God. It is not a dead self that men have to fear, but a a thwarted, captive, imprisoned self. Why? Because it's still talking. The self is infinitely more self-centered than the self-allowed full play. But to you, my children, I teach a higher science law than even freedom of the self. I teach death to the self. No repressions, just death. Petty self-life exchange for divine life. And it goes on. I think the message is pretty clear. In order for me to be free, everything I think is me needs to go. And one of the things that 12 steps do, besides the obvious giving me transformation from the inside out, everything that I thought was me dies. What was taught to me by my sponsors over and over and over in different ways and different language that I need to go. I'm in this treatment center business, and I, I tell guys when they come in that the guy sitting in the chair has got to go. And they think, I mean, exit the room. I say, no, he's got to die. And then they get angry with me because they think I'm wishing them something bad. But I'm not. I'm trying to set them free. And when I sit with the new guy, when I'm working with the new guy, new, a new recruit, not the retreads who've been here a while who are really sometimes very difficult because you've got to help them unlearn everything they learned. But the newbie, the guy just walks in for the first time and is pretty banged up because of alcoholism. I let him know this guy, the one I'm talking to, has got to die. Everything about you is wrong. And we have to get to everything that's right, which is what God created, and you can't do that on your own. I don't have the power to do it. You don't have the power to do it. What we need to do is walk to God and let Him do the conversion, the transformation, the spiritual revolution. And only that way will it happen. And that's based on my own experience of trying lots of different avenues to change. But I need to be, a book says, willing to let go absolutely. Without reservations, am I willing to go all in, be a journeyman or woman? If I go down to the beach and kind of put my foot in the water, I'm not going to tell you I went swimming, because if I did, I was a liar. I just got a little taste of the water. I just put my foot in. But I need to go in and swim. And when I come back and tell you I went swimming, is a big difference. I experienced all of it, which is what we need to do with this. All in. Journey men, journey women. And only through the gift of desperation is that going to happen. And very often we can look, I did, 
wanting to have a relationship with God and trying to see God, seek God out. And we will think, as I did, that God's going to come to me in some great epiphany, which He will. Or I need to meditate for, you know, long hours and sit in meditation and try to, come on, God, zap me with something. Um, Try to create a vision that I think is God-inspired. I'm just making stuff up, but I think it's God-inspired. I can't wait to tell the planet that how Moses now, because I had this uh, thing happen, I orchestrated the whole thing. In meditation, we will have visions. We will have speak God. God will speak to us. And in prayer, we, we let go of the shackles that have us in bondage, and we will get free. And we need to go into sacred science and give prayer to dignity and respect and give attention, full attention to God. But are we saying that when we're tending to our children, washing our car, uh, doing laundry, that I can't experience God there? Isn't God allowing me to do that? Isn't God in every facet of my life? If I think I need to go to some special special pilgrimage or certain retreats or some fancy prayer house or sit in Om for two hours to experience God, that can be pretty dangerous because I'm ignoring life, where God breathes, where God is. Walking my dog down the block, I'm walking my dog, the glory of God. I'm sober. Oh my, there's God. I'm driving to a meeting, alive and sober, excited to get to my meeting. My car's paid off. I work. God. I'm lying down with someone I love, not shacking up. Dignity, respect, self worth treating others as they would want to be treated, as I want want to be treated, I should say. God's in that too. And sometimes we're looking for utopia out there, and it's right in front of me. There's a thing where the master points to the stars, and all the student sees is the hand. Make sense? It's right in front of us. That's why Earl says, can I be grateful when there's no banquet prepared, do I need a banquet to be grateful? I'm loved. There's God. Can I be grateful and experience God when I'm hungry and have no money in my pocket? I've been in both places. Sober. Right? And it's interesting what happens uh, to me is that in those places where um, everything was falling apart, the external world as I knew it evaporated. I got married for once, only once. You get married for once, only once, once, only once. Death till, till death do us part. Boom, marriage blows up. Oh, my God. I'm out of work. She takes the money to the house, and all this stuff's just erupting. Happened to me a couple of times uh, with financial hardship. The only place I can turn back to is God. Have you forsaken me? Have you left me? What did I do wrong? Argue. Manipulate, try to manipulate God, bargain with God through all these things you do. But at some point you say, I'm done. I don't care what you do because I'm not doing a good job. And in that place, a force feeding of humility always turned out to be the most intimate moments that I've had with my God. And in that, I felt somehow I'm going to get past this. I'm going to get through this. And I didn't know how. I just knew it was going to happen. A blind faith, if you will. 
in very intimate moments with this power called God, which gave birth for me to challenging a slogan that we say often, this leap of faith. We always hear, it's a leap of faith. And I'll just share my experience out of hardships. No such thing as a leap of faith for me. God demonstrated himself, revealed himself, if you will, through incredible difficulties in my life. Where change was a must. Relocation was about to happen. A new part of my life was about to to develop from marriage to single, if you will. From living in New Jersey to moving to Texas or living in New Jersey and moving to Florida. Whatever it might be. From having money to having no money. God inspired me to move. God put the invitations in front of me. God took away. By the way, you know, we think sometimes we say God's always giving, God's always giving. God giving sometimes by taking away is the way he gives. Like if my child is running around the house with a knife thinking it's a toy, I take it away because I'm giving him love in doing so. I'm a caring parent. So God's way of sometimes giving is sometimes saying, I've got to take that away from you because it's about to take you on a path. And we say, well, I'm making all this money. Why are you taking this from me? Because it's just enough money not to need God. That's why. And so I feel I'm taking this leap. But God has really said, okay, go. And there is no gravity in God's world, so God's in the middle of this leap. There's no gravity going to catch me. I'm not going to fall. With God's love, it's a very easy cushion landing. We make it difficult. And who's going to get me on the other side of the leap? Who's waiting for me? God. It's just change. It's no leap. And then if you really have an experience, God, and you truly believe in God with all your heart and soul, as difficult as this is right now, I know God's going to take me to it and through it. And I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to harm anyone along the way either. Whatever it might be. Now, that's not going to be easy, right? Because the mind's going to kick in. It's going to show up and say, hey, wait a minute. This is a little too spiritual for me. I know those IA people mean well, but this is real life now. You need to do what you need to do. How's that always worked out for you? This is new territory. And one of the things, nine, step nine, when we enter into this place of making amends and then enter the world of the Spirit, we're going from, I went from everything I knew to a place of unknown, uncharted territories. Like Captain Kirk on Star Trek. I'm going to a place I didn't know before. This is uncharted territory. And here, left is right and right is left and up is down and down is up. It's the spirit of the universe. We have no clue until we get there and start to experience it. You want to not be popular? Pick a topic at your home group. What it's like living in the world of the spirit, they'll kick you out. (laughs) What are you, spiritual? This is AA, you know. So I have this list from uh, from my fourth step all the harms I've done to other people. But there might be more. One of the things I've learned about the eight-step list, I might have a list of, we'll say, let's say 50 people that I need to 
that I've harmed. That doesn't mean for the rest of my life, it's only going to be 50 people. Once I complete that, I'm done for good and all. Because God will reveal to us more as we go along. Go through the work a few times, might come up with some new amends. Talking about amends to people, oh, I just thought of one. So that's what God has given us. That's how much we can handle. That's how wide our shoulders are at that juncture. But it might be more. And so I pray for the willingness to go make amends to every single person on that list. And step nine is going to say, no, because you're going to cause more harm in so doing. But I need to acquire willingness to go see everyone on that list. So that's what I do. I sit in prayer and ask God for the willingness to go to any lens, the willingness to go see these people. Drug dealers, gangsters, whatever they might be. Step nine is going to say no. But I need to show up to nine with a spirit of willingness. It might mean I'm looking at maybe getting locked up for this. Am I willing, yes or no? The rubber hit the road again. Doesn't mean we're going to go to jail. Doesn't mean we're going to go do this. I just need to be willing. I need to get free here because if not, I'm going to drink. I'm going to wind up in jail anyway or dead. I really have nothing to lose. So I write out this eight step and I stop praying to make amends to everyone on that list and I seek counsel. Seek counsel with the sponsor. Go over the amends with the sponsor. Get some feedback. They have more experience with it. I don't just rush out there to get a nine-step notch on my belt and come back and share everyone and have to go go back and make amends for making the first amends. You have to be real careful here. We're in deep water. And we need to go to the boss as well because his timing is perfect. My timing is always off. I'm a dead dollar late and a day shy. Am I willing to take this walk? I'm going to be going back to people I don't even like, that I have resentments with. Our book says how to approach the man we hated will arise. A lot of us have one of these. I had a few of them, one in particular. He showed up on my list. I'm not going because he still did this to me. And I told my sponsor, you need to write more inventory. I still didn't want to go see this guy. And then God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. I was in a restaurant one time. In the back of the restaurant, there was a banquet room. And they were just standing. These two men were standing right outside the banquet room. Remember that landlord I talked about that I had the studio apartment in his house and I trashed it and he threw me out? Didn't pay rent, borrowed money, didn't pay from him, cursed him out, cursed his whole family out. Guess who was running the party in the back of this restaurant in the banquet room? This guy. So I'm here, I am sober doing this work, and this guy's standing no more than where that, those, 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 uh, windows are back there. And this guy's eyeballing me with his friend from across the room. I had to get out of the restaurant. I was not free. And I called my sponsor. I told him what happened. I said, I think he was talking about me. (laughs) He says, wouldn't you be talking about you if you saw you in a restaurant? (laughs) So I wrote inventory. And then I prayed. Our book says the, the, the most difficult ones seem to be the most beneficial, these challenging ones. So I wrote more inventory and I prayed for the willingness to go see this guy. And I'm praying for the willingness, praying for the willingness, praying for the willingness. And one Sunday morning I got up 
and I got dressed, put a sport jacket on, a pair of slacks, a nice shirt, and off out I went. I was on my way to see this guy. Because I was told when you go make an amends, don't get dressed like you're going to commit a felony when the meeting's over. You go be the best copy of this big book that they can see. And so I took that responsibility, and off I went. And uh, at first I wasn't sure what I was doing. I had that, that quiet voice saying, it's time, but I thought maybe I'd be doing something else and knock at the door, and they let me in. And I brought an envelope full of money because I owed some back rent that I never paid. And um, I was self-supporting through my own contributions, and I took uh, some money with me, and they invited me in. I sat, they sat me down, and I spoke to them. And uh, what I told them, I didn't tell them, if I don't make this amends, I may not drink. I don't introduce an amends like that. That sounds like it's all about me, doesn't it? But I let them know uh, in, a, in a way, uh, a kind and loving way, about the harms I caused. I have no right to drag someone through the mud. And when it comes to relationships with the opposite sex, uh, past relationships, guys, we need to really remember this one. We don't need to remind Mary of the one-night stand. She knows about it, and she might be living a clean life now. We don't need to kick that around and make her feel worse. And the same for the women. We don't need to do that. Maybe she had a an affair with you. We don't need to drag her through the mud. They know why we're there. If we're supposed to be there. And we simply say, I just didn't treat you like a lady and I wasn't a gentleman. They know what we're talking about. We have no right to save my own skin at someone else's expense. Huh? So there I was, and I told them uh, uh, the harms I was clear on in the most loving way I can. They reminded me of a few I forgot. And um, <laughs> I remember I gave them the money. Because the money is not mine. In fact, if they didn't take it, I would have to, I would really have to give it to a charity. It's not my money, I'm stealing. And I stole enough from people in the universe. I have to put back, that's my job as an awakened uh, spirit here. So uh, we met for a little bit. And quite frankly, uh, um, they were thrilled uh, for my life and even more thrilled I didn't live in their basement apartment anymore. Um, And then something indeed miraculous happened to me. Uh, Something that I try to share from a million of these podiums, uh, but I just don't do it well. Because I'm trying to describe a God experience. And again, our book comes alive. When it says these difficult ones seem to be the most beneficial, we get fed in abundance, and it's a life-changing experience. Our book is really trying to describe something that's indescribable. I left their house, and what happened, I remember leaving the house. And the last, next thing I remember was, kind of remember, was me walking to my car, but my shoes weren't really touching the concrete, the pavement. And I remember feeling lit up. Like someone turned on this bright spotlight in my soul, just lit up, this yellow, golden kind of light. And I remember my eyes filled up with water, with tears. Like when, if anyone's ever stood in the presence, it's overwhelming. And I can't remember really walking back to my car. I remember going, I was kind of floaty. Now, I don't know how long this experience lasted, if it was five seconds, if it was a while. But I lived about a 15, 20-minute drive from where this guy lived. Until this day, I can't remember the drive. I don't remember the drive. 
except for this moment walking to my car that was uh, euphoric. And I felt right, clean, connected, things like that, healed, safe, love. Next thing I know, I'm putting the key in the door to my apartment. And I didn't run around the house and, oh my God, call my sponsor. It was just something that was very intimate and personal. I mean, I eventually told my, I did tell my sponsor about it. Things like this happen to us. Now, that gentleman, we're probably never going to go bowling together or break bread together. But if he was walking to the room right now, I'm not running out that door. And if he was one of us and needed a sponsor, I'd be more than willing to help him. That's freedom. If I was walking down the avenue and he was crossing the street, I can say, hi, how are you? If he remembered me, I'm clean. I've done my part. It's water over the dam. If he wants to hold on to a resentment, that's on him. I'll even help him get free if he wants of that. And so the first time I went through to work, I probably did... Uh, over 200 direct amends face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball. There were a ton of indirect amends that I made um, to charities and things like that. The most difficult ones also on an emotional level with, with the immediate family. You always hurt the ones you love the most. Now that goes, right? How do I make amends to my dad who saw it all pretty much anyway, most of it? How do I make amends to my two younger brothers who looked at me as a hero growing up to protect her, and I became this thing and stole from them? All my grandparents, who I stole their wedding rings and things like that. How, how, do you, how do you fix that? How do you really fix that? I stole my grandparents', uh, grandparents wedding rings. My dad eventually got them back because he knew the hawk shop I went to, knew the people who ran it. But how do you even... Getting them back, how do you replace what I just ripped off? My grandparents were old and they couldn't have the rings on their fingers anymore, so they had them in a little cup in this china closet. And my grandparents were married maybe 60 years, whatever it was, before they both passed. I ripped that off. That was their memory, their token. My grandmother would show it every once in a while. I ripped them off for that because I needed money. So even me sitting down and making financial restitution and even bringing the rings back to you, does it really, really cut it? The work begins now because I don't steal anymore. I've, I'm, you're allowed to trust me in your home. You know how we are, right? We go fill out an application or something, accidentally walk out of the office with the pen. What do we all do? Run back. I got your pen. I took it. Sorry. Give it back. They look just like it's a pen. You must be an AA. <laughs> right? I had one amends happen to me. Uh, took 17 years. I was in this hospital in Long Island, New York. And I'm praying for the willingness, praying for the willingness to complete the list, except when to do so with injure them or others. And uh, I went over the wall one time. I was trying to AMA, ran away from treatment. And this one gentleman, we would take, they were taking us from the center to the uh, fitness center where the basketball courts were. And this guy who was in charge was walking us across the yard, and off I went, and I took off. And he gave chase. 
I could have gone about five feet this way. I would have been off property and staff can't touch you. But like the alcoholic I am, I ran the wrong way, about 100 yards. I didn't know this guy was a marathon runner. He could have ran for, he's still running, you know. And uh, he gets me at the gate. He says, Pete, don't do this. Just come back. It's okay. You're scared. You're nervous. And I dropped every F-bomb on him I can think of, and over, off I went. He almost lost his job over this. When I came back to treatment, they said, you got him in a lot of hot water. He's supposed to uh, uh, keep you guys from doing that, and he almost lost his job. He got written up by his supervisor and all this other jazz. I don't care. Well, I get sober, and I care. And I would call the hospital, and they said, um, we'll leave a message. He doesn't work here anymore. I wrote letters, nothing. So I prayed, Father, when it's time I stand ready to make amends, we'll call this guy Joe. And uh, I'm marketing. I'm doing marketing work in the treatment center business. 17 years, and I'm sober. And uh, I go back to this treatment center to do some marketing. I'm about to meet one of the clinical directors and all this other stuff. And I leave my house, and I figure it's a long drive, about at least two hours to get there by car. So I give myself ample time, and as you would know, I show up in like 15 minutes, right? I get there really early. I say, oh, my God, uh, I'll go to the diner, have a cup of tea, make a few calls, hang out, whatever. And Spirit says, no, you're going in. Now, when God says you're going in, you're going in. You're frustrated, you can't figure it out, but you're going... You know when you do something, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm doing it. Or someone comes to you in meditation, you call them, and they say, oh my God, you called it a great time. God does this stuff. I get my duffel bag, get out of the truck, I'm walking in, and who's walking out of the door? Joe. Now I know why I was supposed to go in. Call to duty. I didn't have to say, "Uh uh-oh, what am I going to say? I'm making amends. I'm actively making amends. And I sit him, I, I, I talk to him, and I asked him if I can have some time. He remembered me immediately. <laughs> I don't know if it was good or bad. And um, I made my approach. A, approach is getting with you, and amends is the repairing of it. And I was able to make the approach and make the amends. And he was thrilled I was in the business. The treatment center business. He was thrilled I was sober. And he had expressed to me, because I said, anything else you need to tell me? What can I do to make this right? He expressed to me that you one of the guys we knew were going to die. And I obviously was sober 17 years, and I let him know that. And then he let me know that he was in recovery, something I never knew. We gave a hug. He went about his life. I went about my life. I haven't seen him since, but it's been fixed. Recently, there's a social media network out there that we're all on. We always want to be liked every day. You know that one? They like me. I got five likes. I'm, you know. uh, throwback Thursday. I really don't care. It's not that important to me. Um... My, that girl, that valedictorian who went to NYU, I was like the guy, hard dream guy and all this other stuff, and I, boom, blow up. And uh, I stole from her, and I borrowed money off her parents. Um, I cheated on her. I tried to get back with her. Her parents were heartbroken because they adored me. What I forget at the time was me hurting you hurts everyone around you. 
I make amends to that girl. I need to make amends to mom, dad, brother, sister, because they were all affected by my behavior. And their entire family, I mean, they wondered what happened. <clears throat> so I'm online one day, and I get a message from this young lady. Is this Peter Marinelli from Brooklyn? I recognize the name. Oh, my God, I thought you were dead. So now I want to express to her, not out here in this thing, that I have an amends. And with her permission, we contacted each other. She's married and she lives uh, upstate New York and very, very, very successful and has a nice life. And I shared, I made an amends to her. And I wanted to permission, I asked permission to speak to mom and dad. She says, you don't need to do that. I'll just let them know it's everything's okay. And I let her know how truly sorry I was, and what can I do to make this right? Is there anything you need to tell me? And she was just, she was just so genuinely happy that I was sober. She, we wondered, my family talked about you often, whatever happened, this guy's probably dead. We couldn't believe what happened to you the last time we saw you. And she says, but I don't understand this alcoholism thing. She says, you mean you can never even drink wine? I haven't had one of these talks with someone in a long time. Never, ever? I said, oh, I can drink right now, but I can't stop. That's the problem, right? <laughs> right. And um, she got silent, and she says, well, what if someone drinks a bottle or two every night, and you tell them to stop drinking because it's, it's you know, driving you crazy, and they fight with you, and then they hide these blind bottles and keep drinking, and they start to get violent, and a couple of DW, and it went on and on and on. I said, well, it sounds like she's my husband's alcoholic, guaranteed. She says, would you talk to him? I said, absolutely, I will. She got in touch with me a few days later. She approached the subject, and he went ballistic. We wished each other well, and that was done. How many times have I made amends to Joe, and after my amends is done with Joe or Mary or Frank, they say, hey, listen, you go to that A&A &A place, my niece, my nephew, my son, my daughter has a problem. Can you take them? When I was on the waterfront, I, I made a ton of amends, drive-by amends. I show up to work and line them up, pay back money and do all these things. And I can't tell you how many of those men suddenly kind of came out and said, my nephew, my son, my daughter, can you take them? They didn't know what AA was. Because it's called A&A. &A. Can you take them for the cure, they would tell me. And I would do things like this, God's work, another dimension, make financial amends, personal relationships clean up, personal relationship amends, finances get cleaned up. We have no idea that dots don't go from point A to point B, it's God's world now. You get moved here, this thing shifts. You get moved here, this thing shifts. It's all in this other dimension. And one by one by one, I start cleaning this stuff up. The neatest thing that ever happened to me was going to the most difficult on an emotional level was to my dad. And I started the amends. And his reply was, all I ever wanted my, was my son back. You don't even need to do this. And he went on to praise Alcoholics Anonymous because you gave him a son back. That he said, that's all I ever wanted. Done. Now I just live this amends. I'm reliable. I'm trustworthy. I make, I've made a ton of mistakes over the years, but the intent was to do right on the front end. You can leave me in your house with your pocketbook. When you come back, everything that's in the bag is still there. You, know, you can leave me with your money and jewelry. When you come back, it'll be there. 
there was a time where everything would be gone. And my actions show that I'm trustworthy, not my words. Never watch, never listen to what a man says, always watch what he does. So I became trustworthy and welcomed back in uh, and healed because of these amends. Healed. Here's the thing. Contemporary A may fight this and say this sounds a little uh, uh, out there. It's a, it's a little too much of a guru speech. But it's just a fact. We get the power, God's power, in Alcoholics Anonymous to heal people. Through amends and through 12-step work, we get the power, God's power, to heal the lives of others. We come in here broken. Families are splintered. Families are sick and suffering, just as sick as we are, just not a drink in them. Years of living with an alcohol make any child or wife neurotic. The whole family has become ill. Family afterwards says that. And then the drunk comes in here, and we start to work with them. And they start to get better. And they start to get put back together. And they go back into their family and live this life in their families. And we go visit the family. The whole family has changed. It's been healed. We go back to the places we worked and we make amends. We become productive members of that community, our worker community. And suddenly we're the go-to people. We're reliable, we're dependable, we're trustworthy. When we were on the brink of disaster at one point, this is what we do. Our neighbors would just wish we'd move, and suddenly we get this life, and we start to practice these principles in that affair, and we become good neighbors. We become community members. We become church members. How many of us have not go back to church? How come? Our religious community, how come? We're still holding on to resentment? Good luck. How's that working? Oh, religion, goddammit, I'm not going to go there. I'm a spiritual person. Freak them. <laughs> So I'm going to use a few sick ones to judge the whole thing. It's funny how I don't like being judged. Here's what happened to me in an amends. I'm going through the work with my sponsor, and I'm writing about my problems. I go to church. I, I, I go to church. I've been doing since I got sober. And my reason for going to church, it was inspired out of a meditation to light two candles, one for the sick and suffering in and out of the rooms, and one for my mom. Once a week, religiously, I go to church. Light two candles, sit in prayer, meditation, and out I go. Sometimes twice a week, but without, without a doubt, once a week, seven, eight, nine years before I had this life-changing experience in meditation. And I'd go to Mass and sometimes not go. Go to Mass, sometimes not go. It was like streaked, these sprees with Mass. And then, like a lot of us, we look at some of the headlines and some of the things that were going on and look at history and say, well, that doesn't work. It's bad. And right now in my country, religion is considered like Satan. I don't know what's going on down there. So I'm reading my inventory to my sponsor and came to uh, institutions. I'm a Catholic. Uh, Catholic Church. My resentments, my resentments, my resentments. All my causes. Not a problem. Third and fourth column. <clears throat> and my sponsor gives me feedback. This is not a good thing when your sponsor goes, hmm, and then gives you feedback. You know you're in for it. <clears throat> and he says to me something like this. This is something how it sounded. He says, Peter, let me ask you a question. And I said, okay. <laughs> and he says, you go to AA meetings, right? I says, yeah. 
He's every A meeting you like. Some meetings are sicker than others. He says, yeah. Uh, do you like every meeting? He says, no. He says, you have 13 steppers in AS? He yeah. He says, but men and women? Yeah. Some people break uh, singleness of purpose and break traditions, yeah. But you keep going back, yeah, and you keep bringing a solution, yeah. And you keep supporting it and adding to it and nurturing it and doing everything because it's that important to you, right? As, yeah. Even though it's sick sometimes, yeah. He's, how come you can't do that with church? That silence is what he heard, too. <laughs> I had nothing to say. I had no, yeah, but. I had nothing. I had nothing to come back. We don't like not having a comeback, even with the sponsor. I had nothing. I dedicate my life to Alcoholics Anonymous in its brokenness, the members. My brokenness, I'm one of the members. We're all the, some of the plagues, the shenanigans that are going on, some of our meetings. I keep going, and I'll support it. AA was being sued in the paper down in the States not too long ago, some ridiculous thing. There are people who call us a cult. You go online, Google and alcohol, it's a cult, stay away. All these other things that the people attacking AA, let them, we're not getting involved in outside issues, right? But I keep going. And he said, how come you can't do that with your church? And I had nothing. He said, you think you've harmed them? I said, well, I've gossiped in my own head and to some other people. I had to make amends. So we have confession on Saturday. And I go into the confession booth and I do the routine and I, I let him know um, why I'm there. God sent this priest in. His father, here's why I'm here. <clears throat> Talked about some things I wasn't so sure about. And I said, but I'm here to make amends. There was no, use it as a, um, like a screen. There was no screen. It was a room and he turned. <laughs> and uh, I says, this is what's been going on with me, why I've stayed away. And I'm shameful about it, but it's the truth. And what can I do to make this right? He didn't say, go tell everyone to come back here. He didn't say, go to those people that you gossiped about the church to and fix it with them. He said this, I understand. Can you come to church to mass tomorrow morning to make amends? Can you just do that? I, I can do that. He gave me some penance, some prayers to uh, prayers to say, and out the door I went. Sunday morning, I walk into mass. The bells are chiming, and I start to get very emotional. They start, and I start to weep. I cried for as long as mass is fifty minutes, the hour. When the whole church did the Lord's Prayer, I was a basket case. I was home. I was forgiven. It was where I belonged. And the second Sunday, I went back again. The third Sunday, I went back again. I went back again. And I went back again. I'm starting to learn stand, sit, kneel, stance. It's a little aerobic workout that we do. And it's paradise. Now, I would go sometimes, and I would be sitting in a pew, and I'd see a couple over there, and they'd be talking about the couple walking in. I said, see what I mean? I hear them gossiping about someone else, or something like that. My second week in Mass, this guy walked in, and this older couple, I can see they were talking poorly about this guy, and I said, we do it in AA too. I was in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. I was there for other reasons. And I went every week, and when I travel, 
depending on what time I get home, I'll get to a later Mass, and sometimes I do it on the road. But I get a pass because he says you're doing God's work when you're away. But every Sunday, if I'm home, that's what I do. Then they asked me, can you be a lector and a Eucharistic minister? So I only get to read Scripture, I hand out communion. The whole thing doesn't make sense. And since that has happened, I will tell you, at these kind of conferences, it's funny how when we're awake and certain things happen to us, God now sends in people who had the same struggles. I can't tell you how many conferences we're just sitting around having a cup of coffee before the meeting starts. And um, we'll start, people start talking about the 11th step. And then they'll ask me, they see me, my, I have these, uh, this religious article that I always hold me. They say, you're a Catholic? Whatever religion it is, I'm, just, I'm a Catholic, so I'm talking about that. So am I. I have a problem. And I tell them this experience. A month later, two weeks later, they're emailing me back. I did what you did. It's been tremendous. Thank you so much. Go to another conference, meet two or three. Go to another conference, meet a young lady, same thing. Go to another conference, meet some old-timer. Over and over and over again. And I don't care if they're Catholic, Jew, Muslim, Hindu, I don't care. I encourage you to go back to your religious community. And if you have a resentment, that's why you're not going back, then you need to fix that resentment, don't you? Hello, wake-up time. God just shed some light on a spot of darkness that we were justifying. You're too lazy. You don't have time. What? You get it? I'm denying myself food and I'm starving. Just a consideration. Because I don't want to get any further because I'll stop breaking traditions. But that was my amends to my church community, the religious community. I made amends to my brothers. I made amends to my grandparents. Um, When I got done with the amends, it was about living the amends. I had a lot of amends that I couldn't go make, except when to do so would injure them or others. Relationships with women that I couldn't go back because they were married. I couldn't knock on the door and say, hey, remember me. Um, Quick story. I was uh, in Brooklyn, and there was a woman on my list, and she was window shopping. And I saw her and says, hey, call her Mary. Mary, it's, remember me? And she made a beeline across. She says, stay away from me. And I wanted to run up to her and say, but I'm a good guy now. I'm here to make amends. And my sponsor says, stay away from her. I saw another woman. I was making amends, and she said to me, my husband is right upstairs. You better get out of here before I call him. People still smart from our injustice to them, and I have no right to showing up and saying, I'm here. Both of those times, my sponsor tore me apart for doing that without counsel. I learned you got to seek counsel. There are certain people we just can't go to to cause more harm in so doing. There are certain employees that I can't go back to and say, hey, I've been stealing with you, and by the way, so is me, Frank, and Bill. I have to get their permission before I show up. I can't implicate other people because I want to keep it clean. I need to get permission. If I'm facing jail, I have to realize if I go to jail, who's going to take care of the wife and kids if I'm in the can? 
I need to go to the wife and say, listen, I might wind up in jail. Is this okay with you? If she says yes, go to jail. It's okay. You have a problem in a relationship, right? <laughs> Certain things to consider, but we seek counsel. As we're cleaning up amends, we enter the world of the Spirit. As we're cleaning up amends, as we're cleaning up amends. So the thing is, maybe I have 50 amends and I did 20 and I stop. Even though I'm doing step 10, 11, I'm really doing more mechanics than entering the world of the Spirit. So before we go to break, here's a show of hands, just a consideration. How many of us here feel we've had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps? Okay. Now, you don't have to put your hands up for this. The people just had their hands up. How many outstanding amends do you currently have that you could be making and not causing harm, but you haven't? Right. Have we had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps or as the result of steps nine and a half? (laughs) Nine and a quarter. Now, I mean this with all due respect. I'm not trying to make anyone feel uncomfortable. Just considerations. If I have a handful of amends that I could be making without causing more harm, perhaps making the approach, I owe $100 and I'll give you 10 make the best deal possible, or just fixing something, I could be doing it and I wouldn't be causing more harm in so doing. Why am I sitting here on a Saturday afternoon and not out making that amends? Why haven't I dropped a letter in the mailbox or gone on one of those social media things or perhaps uh, uh, made a phone call? What am I doing here? You know what I mean? Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Could have done ten amends. Got my meetings lined up this week? Any amends made this week? This is what my sponsors would tell me. Got any men's appointments this week? No. When was the last amends you made? Oh, I don't remember. But I'm going to say I had a a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. I've been transformed. I haven't really entered the world of the spirit. I got a little taste of it. And my ego now is telling me, "Eh, we'll get to it. In time. Now, if I'm actively seeking people... This is a different the flip side. If I've been trying, I just can't reach these people. That's something different. I've sent letters. I tried some phone calls, sent some emails. I don't know where they are. I've been praying for them. Consider that good. That's a good thing. We just haven't been able to lock in. But if it's I'm in a place of, I'll get to it when I get to it. I'm busy. Besides, I feel good. I don't know. Only you can judge how you're doing. There's a little thread, perhaps, of that little uncomfortability when a nine-step lecture begins. Because we know, deep down within, I have a bunch of amends that I could be making that I'm just not making. And I'm not going to cause harm in doing it. I can even begin the financial restitution. I could work on a deal. I could do something than just hanging around. How free do I want to be? Okay, we'll take a break. Thanks.